Hi, sorry. Hello. New, new to the whole Zoom thing. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Feeling better now. Excited, <laughs> excited. Um, so I am going to skip all the craziness and skip all the music and just get right to it. I'll just. Do, uh, is there any particular way you want to be introduced? Uh, you know, Miradesi, the ingredient guru, is good. Perfect. Excellent. That's what I wrote down. So that's perfect. <laughs> Uh, hi there. Happy Tuesday. It's July the 30th, 2019. I'm Eric. So I can as always from beautiful downtown Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, where there's an old saying that says, you are what you eat. But I don't ever remember sitting down and devouring 170 pounds of awesome. Really? You don't remember that? I, I don't do. Recall. Apparently it causes amnesia. <laughs> but how are you, Gordon? I'm so glad you got to be with us. I am ecstatic. I am so happy that my internet is finally up and fucking working. Oh my god, I've been losing my mind over this. No kidding. And um, a very rare treat for our show. We have a very special guest with us tonight, uh, Mira Desi, who's an author, speaker, a holistic nutritionalist, and uh, she's going to hear. She's here to school Gordon and I on everything we're doing wrong with our diet. I hope. Well, well hey guys, how are you? So great. Thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Oh, it's, uh, I've been really looking forward to it. I've got a ton of questions for you, and I'm sure Gord does as well because he's a, he's a big foodie. <laughs> I'm a well, big something. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I briefly glanced at your website earlier today, and uh, it's a very nice website, by the way. Thank you. Um, and it, it really hit on something that was that was uh, a big point for me is that I don't know what's in my food. I and it's not that there's conflicting information; it's that I don't understand the information that's in front of me anyway. Um, what, what's what's the number one thing you think that um, we're doing wrong with our diets? Uh, you know, honestly, one of the one of the biggest things that we need to do is simply read the label. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a lot of things, and we'll, we'll be diving into this, I'm sure, but there's a lot of stupid things that food producers do to our food because it's better for them, not for us. And really, they give us all the ammunition that we need to be able to do better because the law requires them to put it on the label. We're simply not paying attention. I see. Um what did I see today in the news? Oh, yeah, there was uh, Gord, you're going to love this. <laughs> it's, uh, I was looking up uh, just like health news for the day, and there was a big article Men's sexual function may benefit from daily nut consumption. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, that shit just writes itself. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I can't make that up. Um, now, one thing I did want to ask you, Mira, is it is it very individualized? Like, there's no sort of one one rule fits all. Is there? Oh, you know, I'm so glad that you asked that. You know, here's the thing. Yes, nutrition is bio individual. There are different things that different bodies require. But uh, in my book, The Pantry Principle. 
I do have what I call my seven simple rules for healthy eating. I'd love to share them with you. Let me get a pen. Yeah. I would like to hear this very much. Okay. okay. Now, before you start, I have to ask, does this involve copious amounts of Burger King and McDonald's? Unfortunately, no. <laughs> like, we're just going to say, like, if you knew what they did to those poor cows before they turned them into your burger, you would not want to eat them. Well, that's, that's debatable. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what are our seven... Uh, Sure. So here, here we go. Seven simple rules. Rule number one, do you have to look it up? You should not have to be a biochemist to understand what's on, on the food label. That is my biggest a, problem. Yeah. If you need a chemical dictionary to tell you what you're eating, you probably don't want to eat it. Understood. Uh, rule number two, does it have a number? So I'm here to tell you that uh, there's... No such thing as a carrot 12 or an apple 14. Real food does not grow by numbers. And anytime we see a number on a food label, it simply means that it is some form of chemical formulation. That makes so much sense. I've never even heard of carrot 12 and apple 14. That's, that's just <laughs> fascinatingly terrifying. <laughs> well, that would be because they don't exist. It's that, you know, wow. the thing is, we say carrot, we know what a carrot is, but you say polysorbate 80, and you're like, what is that? Exactly. Hard to break down, yeah. That is. Uh, wow. so, okay. Um, so, rule number three is does it have four or more syllables? And this one you kind of got to think about. Because, for example, macadamia has five syllables. We know what macadamia nuts are. We love them. They're delicious. Um, I don't get to eat them probably more than maybe once a year. So that's <laughs> not a big concern. But, but, you know, all those polysyllabic words, again, those are just chemical compositions and not really something that we want. That is absolutely perfect for me because I'm not a fan of big words to begin with. Well, there you, you know, go. I've, I've always been curious. I've always been suspicious of cucumbers because of all the syllables. So now I know to look out for them. There you go. Stay away. <laughs> no, no, cucumbers only three. Sorry. We just heard it from the nutritionist. So no good for you. Oh. <laughs> uh, rule number four: Is it unpronounceable? And again, this is one of those. The first time you heard quinoa, most people like quinoa. quinoa yeah. Yeah. But it is but once you know what it is then you know it's good but if you see words that you don't understand then you really want to investigate it before you eat it you know i've always felt that way about quiche because i know the word quiche but every time i see the word i think quitchy <laughs> i never have to eat a plantain again <laughs> perfect there you go uh i'm these so far Rule number five, does it end in A-T-E? And again, this is another one that you got to think about it because pomegranates end in A-T-E, but so does sorbate, galleate, nitrate, all those other words. And if it ends in A-T-E, chances are you do not want to E-A-T it. I, glutamate. Well done. Glutamate would be my favorite. Yeah, definitely not a good choice. And that kind of fits a couple of your categories there. It's a... <laughs> Two and it's an eight. Oh, it's all, all around bad stuff. 
Absolutely. Definitely. You know, and, and part of the challenge is, like I said at the beginning, you know, these food producers, they put these things into our food because it's better for them. Of course. And so we wind up being the ones to, to pay the price this for that kind of thing. But this isn't necessarily on your list, but it's always been on the top of mine. And I actually talked about it earlier uh, last week was uh, if it, if the package tells you to remind you to enjoy it, it's probably not good for you. <laughs> if it says just, just add water and microwave for three minutes and enjoy. Yeah. If you have, well, <laughs> and you know, one of the very interesting things I run a book club, the ingredient guru book club and we read a book a month uh, about all kinds of stupid things that they do to our food and all the interesting things and one of the things that i found fascinating one of the books that we recently read was uh called salt sugar fat by a man named uh, michael moss okay and in the book he talked about the fact that many of the top people at the big food producing companies worked really hard to not eat their own food Oh, I would imagine so. That, that's yeah. Nice. So here they are making this stuff and selling it to us, and they're hiring private chefs, and they're not eating any of it. Oh, of course. It's uh, it, it makes makes perfect sense. Um, it's all about profit now. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, one of the things that I talk to people when I'm doing some of my you know my speaking engagements that I go on. I remind people that food producers are not actually in the business of making food. And while that may sound counterintuitive, the truth is they're in the business of making money. Food simply seems to be how they do it. Definitely. And let's, let's finish up your list here quickly because I don't want people sitting sure. there going, oh my God, what, are, what were the last two? Sure, sure, sure. So uh, rule number six is, is it enriched? And so I'd like to talk for just a second about the difference between enriched and fortified. I'm very curious. Please do. So fortified is when they add something that doesn't belong to a food because somebody decided it was a good idea. For example, putting calcium in orange juice. Sure. Somebody, somebody decided that kids just weren't getting enough calcium and so we needed to put it into orange juice to get them to drink it. Right. I thought that was a good idea, but it doesn't belong there. Enriched, on the other hand, is when they process a food so much, and it's usually wheat, that they remove so many of the nutrients that they have to put some of them back. Okay. And so all that enriched, yes. And so with wheat, for example, enriched wheat, they've stripped 22 of the nutrients out of it. They've added four things back, mostly um, B vitamins and iron, sometimes a little calcium, and the rest of the nutrients are still missing, and the ones that they put back are chemical versions of what they took out. Of course. So those are, wow. those are probably That's two crazy. of the most misleading words ever, because they're, they're very, they sound good. Oh, it's enriched. That's got to be good. It's fortified. That means it's stronger. That's fantastic. Yeah, I know, right? Well, and here's the thing. The reason they did that is because a long time ago, when they were you know, we learned in the industrial age how to process foods and be able to, you know, take this, what was a dense, dark grain bread and make it light and fluffy because we all love fluffy bread. Sure. They stripped so many nutrients out of it that people were getting really, really sick. Wow. And so the government mandated that they had to put some of it back. That's hilarious. Isn't that crazy? 
know. Wow. Yeah. You, you know, you brought up wheat, and um, I uh, I used to install conveyor belts for a living, and uh, I've seen a lot of different food companies how they make things. Uh, I know how hot dogs are made, um, and I still eat them. It's kind of weird. Um, <laughs> But the strangest thing that I saw, and I'm not going to reveal the company name because I just don't want to get sued, um, but there is a, one of the major bread companies. Um, I was in con uh, fixing a conveyor belt, and I replaced the belt, put the new one on, and all of a sudden, this dropping of something hit the conveyor belt. It's a white belt. I'm like, the hell is this? And I looked up above me in the ceiling, and there's an actual bat colony. Oh! The bat guano is actually dropping into the mixture when it gets mixed and it gets pushed through. So I brought it up to one of the guys. I'm like, dude, you guys know you got bats in here? And the guy laughed. He goes, yeah. How do you think the bread tastes so good? Oh, my God. Oh. So I... it's a bit of a terrifying thought for everybody, but yeah. So And and, uh, and that scared me off because it was one of my favorite breads. But, I, actually, uh, I watched a documentary one time on the minimum allowable amount of like bugs and things that, that, that I couldn't eat for like six weeks. Oh, I tell yeah. you, I think that would turn your fucking stomach and it literally turned mine. I used to love, um, I used to love bagels, uh, but I actually haven't touched bagel in years because, uh, well, there you, I can say this clearly because this company doesn't exist much around anymore, but there's a company called the great Canadian bagel. Yeah, and, yeah, there is. That's right. It's a very. It was a hugely popper for a long stretch. It's it's kind of lost its popularity. I got the one in my hometown shut down, and it took me less than six months to do it because I did installs for the company that was supplying their the dough and giving them the bagels. And the things that I saw in that factory flat out repulsed me. Wow. And I will eat things that will disgust like a homeless person. Um, and this oh. stuff was just disgustingly disgusting like they were literally pushing live cockroaches into some of the bagels going ah fruit and nut they'll never notice it oh that's, oh, that's oh and yeah. you know that's one of the one of the challenges that we face with our food you know legally they're allowed to do an awful lot of things to our food far more than i think anyone would like to know about yeah well and that you know that's my mission i try to make it a little funny so people will listen but truthfully it's very very serious there are an awful lot of people who are getting sick and an awful lot of health issues that are happening because of all the things that they do to our food and you know they just sort of pass it off as generally recognized as safe right uh, but but the truth of the matter is there's also a whole other issue that has to do with food adulteration and uh you know and then food i don't even know what what would be a good term for this but but food manipulation i guess uh so but that is it, does that is it safe to say you're you're against gmos in, in any oh way? yes yeah. Just, not a fan definitely but, not a fan. now this brings up a big question for me now gmos have gotten a huge bad rap obviously because you can take the extreme versions of what's been fortified fortified and solidified and fucked whatever you want to call it. But for the most part, GMOs are necessary in order for us as a civilization, for the amount of people living on the planet, in order to supply enough food for everybody. And so yes. I am going to respectfully disagree with you. There's a couple of things about GMOs that I think a lot of people tend to not realize. One is, first of all, when they manipulate 
food so that they basically with GMOs, well, there's two kinds of, of genetic engineering. One is called bioengineering, where they manipulate a particular species and do something to it within itself to change it. The other is when they mash two things together, like putting fish beans into a tomato so the tomato won't freeze. That's what the Chinese just did. They, they created a set of twins. That's a different <laughs> <laughs> um, Well, there was a tomato, the very first genetic modified product was a flavor saver tomato that supposedly would not freeze however it was it apparently tasted like cardboard and was not a success but it was the beginning of genetic modification there is a tomato called the hunt so yeah one of the one of the primary reasons that they genetically modify things is so that they can use Roundup on crops, although it's used on, on crops that aren't genetically modified as well for a number of different reasons. And part of the challenge is that the primary ingredient in Roundup is something called glyphosate. Right. Originally invented as an antibiotic, so let's just kind of remember that in the back of our head. Glyphosate is a chelating agent. And as such, when it is sprayed on the ground, it binds with some of the minerals that are in the soil and prevent those minerals from being properly utilized by the plants. So we have less nutritious plants. Then, then we have this genetically modified plant that has been, uh, first of all, monkeyed with so that its genes are not as it was originally intended. And then we've sprayed the snot out of it with glyphosate plus a whole bunch of other chemicals. And remember it was an antibiotic. And then it gets into our system because just because you cook it or process it in some way, the glyphosate does not go away. It gets taken up into the plant. And now we have enormously increasing numbers of people who have digestive health disorders because right. our microbiome is being disrupted. Now, would this be one of the big causes for things like um, like people um, that can't have um, uh, gluten and things like that? Is that one of the main reasons for that? Is this type of manipulation of food? So, yes, there are a number of studies that indicate the, the incidence of celiac disease in the population has still, even though our population has grown, the incidence of celiac disease is still remaining steady. Um, but the challenge is we have this, um, th there's another thing called non-celiac gluten sensitivity. So it's people who are sensitive to gluten because we have hybridized wheat so that there is more gluten in it and we consume far more gluten than our grandparents ever did. Right. So we, we're just, we're overexposing ourselves. And then the third category is actually people who are very sensitive to glyphosate and it is ripping up their gut. Oh, it's not actually a gluten sensitivity. It's, it's this. It's a glyphosate sensitivity. Yes. Uh -huh. But the problem is because glyphosate or Roundup is most heavily tied with heavy crops or with um, desiccated crops because one of the things that they do as well is they use it to dry out the crops before they harvest them so they will spray glyphosate a day or two before harvesting to reduce the moisture on 
on grain crops, you know, wheat, corn, barley, rye, all of that, oats, that sort of thing. So even if those crops are um, not GMO crops, they could still have glyphosate on them. I may have to change my wow. tune because Gordon and I have been arguing about this for quite some time where I say if you use Roundup, then you know the risks by now and no one should be compensated for, you know, getting sick for using Roundup. But this is, this is a lot darker than than just the average person using it in their garden or whatever. Yeah, no, it's really, it, it has serious effects. And, you know, one of the things, and, and this is one of these things where I just think, isn't nature amazing? Um, one of the other things that they do is, you know, they, they think that it's going to kill the bug life. And it turns out that we are now breeding super weeds. We have some weeds that have figured out how to, be resistant to Roundup, and we've made a whole class of bugs that just love Roundup. They think it's the best stuff ever, and they're destroying crops to get to the Roundup. I love, wow. I love plants. Their, their, their ability to adapt and, and their resilience is just amazing. It's, I'm, I'm a big nerd for plants. Sometimes they're a little bit smarter than we are, right? They really are, <laughs> and uh, definitely going to outlive us, that's for sure. Yeah. Now, so one of the big things with uh, with GMOs that they always have been attempting to do, correct me if I'm wrong, is obviously is to have them a more um, a longer shelf life. Because uh, organic, I briefly worked in the grocery store industry. Um, I, I worked on the produce section, so I knew the difference between when you have like you know like the true organic, the fake organic, and then well everything else. And I can honestly say that the organic stuff did not last anywhere near as long, which means for grocery stores and the places that are supplying these foods, their turnover and profit loss is huge, strictly because of the fact that they doesn't have the same shelf life as something that's been modified. So the and question you know, becomes is how do you deal, how does that get dealt with when, if you don't use GMO foods, how yeah. do companies deal with that? Well, and that's, that's a great question. You know, I will say that I'm not aware of the genetic modifications itself in terms of manipulating foods to make them have a longer shelf life. However, the manipulation comes in with a lot of the the other chemicals that are in our food, all of the, the preservatives and emulsifiers and stabilizers and things like that. Um, there's a really great book, which we did also read in the Ingredient Guru Book Club by uh, Michael Ruhlman called Grocery, and he talks about the history of the grocery store and how over time we have gone from, you know, people used to go to different grocery stores, and I don't know if, if you have any family members who ever talked about that, but they used to go to the fishmonger and the greengrocer and the dairy and the butcher and like everything was separate. And then slowly it all came under one roof and then it began to expand from there. And now grocery stores are sort of like this amazing plethora. As a matter of fact, I, I live down here in Texas and they're building a 92,000 square foot grocery store. Holy shit. <laughs> I know, right? I'm like, who needs that many groceries? By the um, time you get from one end to the other, your food's gone bad anyways. I mean, Jesus, right? cute. Um, <laughs> I actually, believe it or not, I had a girlfriend who shopped like that um, actually quite recently. 
it was very frustrating because it would take us still like nine o'clock to shop every night. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And you know, so one of the one of the things that we have to remember is that with uh, the things that we look at in the grocery store, it's because we have in in this you know industrial age really tried to centralize our groceries. And a long time ago, when we were buying things that were a little more localized, and when we weren't having to monocrop the way we do now, uh, food, food was simply produced differently. Right. I think there is somewhat of a movement back towards that, because I'm seeing a lot of people either going to farmers markets or belonging to some sort of a you know community supported agricultural effort sure. uh, you know that kind of thing and so i i think there is a lot more of that they're massively popular here in british columbia and um studies are coming out i just read one today that says eating local um reduces abdominal fat blood pressure and of course uh Gord. oh i can't hear it <laughs> uh, is there is there a truth to that that uh, that eating locally is that that could reduce your blood pressure your uh, diabetes? Well, you know, so here's the thing: I don't necessarily know if that's true, but one of the things that I do know is that if we eat more locally there are some really important things that happen with our food that we tend to not take into account. So, for example, if we look at the food miles that are generated by our, our food, you know, one of the things that we discover is that the average food item, now this is for... Uh, the U.S. I don't know what it is up in in Canada, sure but like uh, in in the U.S., most grocery items that are on a grocery store shelf will have traveled, you know, an average of fifteen hundred miles from where it was grown until it gets to your plate. Uh, that not even to your plate. Sorry, to your grocery store, and then it's got to go another, you know, 10, 15, 20 miles to get to your house. Sure. Um, yeah. yeah Sorry, go Sorry. Go That's ahead. fascinating to me because when I worked at the grocery store, one of the things that I was completely blown away by were blueberries. Ontario, well, Canada specifically, but Ontario more specifically, we are known for growing our own blueberries. It's uh -huh. one of our largest exports. And yet, every time when we go to the grocery store, especially when I was working there, all of our blueberries came from California. And I could never fathom, because it's actually cheaper in Canada to ship stuff, food from California all the way up to Ontario than it is to drive 40 miles down the road and grab, you know, a couple of truckloads of blueberries locally. That's ridiculous. And see, that boggles my mind because I'm with you. I don't understand. But then again, you know, the, the U.S. government approved uh, a, a measure that would allow us in America to ship chickens to China for processing and then ship them back for sale. How on earth <laughs> in any way a good idea? That's, That's so fucked. That it just makes no sense at all. It is. It's horrible. And I'm like, where, you know, but then, I, so this is a little bit disgusting, but does anybody remember Horsemeat Gate? 
Yes, of course. Yes, absolutely. So if you look at the chain of delivery for Horsemeat Gate, it is unbelievable where that meat started from and how far it went in order for that meat to wind up in an Ikea meatball in the middle of Great Britain. Which uh, I've eaten at Ikea. It's not not a pleasant experience to start with. I I didn't even, I never considered that. Wow. I would only go to Ikea. The first time I went to Ikea was when I got really high and I just needed a cheap meal. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be honest. (laughs) There's so much that you don't think about on a daily basis. And unless someone like you is, is there to tell us about, it just wouldn't cross my mind. And it's, I'm just genuinely ignorant of it. Stuff that I don't consider even being a problem. Well, and, you know, food producers want it that way. They, They want you to not pay attention. And as a matter of fact, one of the things that I talk to people about a lot when I'm teaching them how to read the label, how to pay attention to what's in their food, is this idea of something called front of package labeling. And that's where the manufacturer puts all kinds of things on the front of the package, like provides a full day's worth of vitamin C or, you know, antioxidant rich, protein dense, all these lovely terms, because believe me, they spend tens of millions of dollars every year trying to figure out what are the buzzwords, what do you want to know, what are you thinking about, so that they can change their packaging. Because they're hoping you won't flip that package over to look at the other side. Well, yeah, if you if you remember anyone listening who happens to be our age and remembers Get Cracking. Yeah. <laughs> and then a few years later, uh, this is something I've been dying to talk to you about. Uh, eggs were all of a sudden the, the devil. Don't, don't eat eggs. Eggs are terrible for you. And now they seem to be good again. Is, is, is there any credence to this um, cholesterol conspiracy? You know, so one of the one of the things that's really challenging is that we were given this whole low fat myth where if we eat low fat we'll be healthier and everybody did it and all of a sudden we have more obesity, more cardiovascular disease, more health issues than we did before. Sure, and there's a there's a theory that that's actually intentional. Well, and so you know what I I I don't want to go down that road because I, I have no proof of that. What I do know, however, is that studies have now shown that the cholesterol that we eat, for example, in eggs, does not happen to be something that has a huge impact on our liver which is where our body produces cholesterol. So if you have high cholesterol, there are actually other lifestyle factors at play, not specifically your diet. That makes so much sense. Wow. And I'm just, I'm following very closely this, this idea that uh, drug companies were pushing uh, these statin drugs on people um, because it's a $12 billion industry. Well, and part of the challenge is, you know, and this is this is a personal piss me off moment here because I'm female. Um, women of a certain age are more likely to be pushed onto statin drugs than men 
And part of that seems to be because doctors have forgotten their basic biology here. So uh, if I can explain for a moment, as women, obviously at a certain point in our lives, we go through menopause. And that means our bodies are not producing estrogen anymore. But what the doctors seem to have conveniently forgotten, or the drug companies have encouraged them to forget so that they can push statin drugs, is that the body uses cholesterol to make hormones. Not just the sex hormones, all of them. Uh, But the body uses cholesterol for that. So once you no longer need your estrogen because you are a woman of a certain age, your cholesterol levels are going to go which way? Up. And when they go up, what does the doctor say? Oh my gosh, your cholesterol is up. You must go on a statin drug. It's like a conspiracy theory against women. It's horrible. That's amazing. Yeah, no, that is true. I'm sorry I'm I'm in awe, but uh, yeah, that is terrible. Um, It's fascinating. I I just can't believe that people are so willing to hurt other people for money. It just, that always frustrates me to no end. Well, I think one of the things one of the things that's really challenging is that you know it these days when we see studies, we have to remember to look at who funded them yes. and what the purpose was. You know, for example, you guys are going to love this. I don't know if you guys remember this, but I think it was like a year ago, maybe a little bit more than that. Uh, there was an article that came out that said that when it came to losing weight. Diet Coke was better than water. <laughs> oh, God, that just disgusted me. And, and oh. so guess, guess who helped to fund that study? <laughs> <laughs> Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> well, technically. <laughs> you know, I my Coke, so. so. You know, but when, again, this comes back to food producers are hoping that we're not paying attention. They want to be able to just say, oh, look at this. And had, oh, that was like, there was another one that just came out recently. I shared it on my Facebook page um, to, to my practitioner group. Uh, there was a study that came out of Japan that said ice cream for breakfast was good for you. <laughs> well, realistically, it makes perfect sense. Who came up with that soundbite? That's no different than, than um, milk on sugary cereal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I just think it's really <laughs> funny because... They, they admitted that they that a sweets company founded this or paid for the study and then when they released their beautiful little um, soundbite that I'm sure they were hoping would get picked up by the media they conveniently did not include the study results so that nobody could look at it oh, oh wow of course Man. so that was very funny we, yeah. you know one of the things I always remembered uh, and I discovered this at a relatively younger age um uh, Looking at cereal boxes, I mean, like you know, growing up, you loved your, your your sugary cereals, you know, your Captain Crunch, your your Lucky Charms, whatever it might be. I was um, a kid. I loved cornflakes. Well, I mean, there's a, I love life cereal. What am I going to say? I mean, I still like some of the healthy stuff too. Sure, give it to oh, One of my favorites, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> one of the things that I noticed that I always thought was kind of messed up was that no matter which cereal you you got, it always says uh, you know. Having the cereal is uh, is part of uh, a healthy breakfast and healthy breakfast and healthy balanced diet. But the little subtle thing was that the original packaging when they would do this, they would always have a picture of the the, the bowl of the cereal 
But then there was always like a glass of orange juice, a couple of bananas, an apple. There was all these other things that were sort of subtly put in the background of the picture. Because the only way that food was considered nutritious is if you ate the nutritious shit that came out of the rest of the picture. Oh, of course, yeah. But they would never tell you that specifically. They always say, no, it's part of a balanced diet. Yes. Yeah. you ate all this other good stuff that went with it to balance out the shitty sugar that you were having. So believe it or not, we're already getting close to the end, and I've got way more I want to get to here. So, sorry, just finish your point quickly. There. I, I, I was just going to say we really have to learn to think outside the box, and just because I I remember being both delighted and creeped out at the same time when I learned this, and I, I the next time I was at the grocery store, I had to check it out. So the next time you go to the grocery store, walk down the cereal aisle and look at the characters on the front of the box. Because oh, yeah. it turns out that every single one of those characters is looking at a child that is a toddler standing or a child in a grocery cart. It is called a 19-degree angle of cast. They know exactly where to make those eyeballs look to make them look at those children, those big eyes that say, buy me. Oh, my goodness. That's how much wow. they manipulate our kids to buy cereal. It's horrible. I will never look at Freddie and Eddie the same. And they were <laughs> <laughs> I might, next time I go to the grocery, I might just have a staring contest. <laughs> Crazy. You yeah, want to look at me, you look at it, They're looking at the kids. They're not looking at the grown-ups. No, they're looking at the kids. They so got touched from the different angle. Oh, that's insane. I would love But here's the thing that really creeps me out. How much money did they have to spend to figure that out? Oh, wow. Oh, millions. Yeah. Wow. Maybe that's probably what's really going on in Area 51. They yes. spend millions of dollars putting people into MRI machines and feeding them and watching what areas of their brain light up to make sure that they're hitting what they call the bliss point. Oh, wow. Who submits themselves to these studies? I have no idea. Nobody I would. <laughs> You're going to stick me in a tube and feed me? That just sounds like a dream. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think it sounds pretty gross. <laughs> I, I'm claustrophobic and I don't like cereal that much that's yeah, there that's you go. just my nightmare that would be like they'd have to give you valium and cereal <laughs> <laughs> again not seeing a downside <laughs> <laughs> now we have a, a very very big federal election coming up here in october um it, it's going to be monumental for our country and one of the things they've made an election issue is our canada food guide that we can't seem to agree on what a healthy meal is. And originally, it was just you, you had to have something from all the four food groups. And now the four food groups aren't the four food groups anymore. And this is actually a giant political uh, volleyball right now. So what what is a healthy meal? You know, that is a great question. And I before I, I get into that, I would like to point out that one of the biggest challenges that we face, and we deal with the same thing here in the U.S., and I'm sure they deal with it in other countries as well. Part of the challenge is that the organization that's in charge of making those determinations is heavily influenced by all of the, the agricultural concerns that the government provides subsidies for. That's, that's the big uh, argument here right now. Um, yeah, so you see grain-heavy plates. Um, I know, for example, when Canada's plate was redone, they you had a lot of grains on your plate. I believe it was 25%, if I remember correctly. I, I think it's still. Um, yeah. And, and 
you know, here in the U.S., when we used to have that silly food pyramid, yeah, it was right. the whole bottom, like the biggest part of it was eat grains, and then there's lots of dairy and yeah, all these things. I was just going to say that the dairy industry is hugely involved in this, and that's the that's the big uh, the, the political grenade right now is they're going to use it against Trudeau, saying he's got he's being bought and paid for by the dairy industry, and that's why he's pushing this on us. Yeah. And, and, you know, so I think one of the things that I really feel, and again, we have to remember everybody is bio-individual. Of course. Um, I think what we really need to look at is making sure that we're getting nutrient-dense foods, not processed foods. Of course. So if you're eating, you know, bread and pasta and all those kinds of, those are processed foods. If you're eating vegetables, there's a big difference. So you want more unprocessed foods. And quite frankly, we need more vegetables. Um, when, when I was working with individual clients, I used to recommend five to seven cups of vegetables a day. Um, you eat that many vegetables, not a whole lot of room for potato chips. That's true. And I, that's I a problem. How is <laughs> not having room for potato chips a good thing? <laughs> Remember, you're, you're talking to a fat man here, you know. <laughs> um, I, I have to ask, because this is a big, big topic here on the show, and I've gotten into it on Facebook again. I hate that I get dragged into these things, but I have to ask someone who will be able to put it to sleep once and for all, are vegans retarded? <laughs> it's a okay. way to live. Well, <laughs> and work. so I'm I'm going to tell you that it is possible to be a healthy vegan. It takes an awful lot of work. Sure. It takes regular micronutrient and metabolic testing. It means you are going to have to supplement for the rest of your life if you're doing that. And that I I believe it is it presents more of a challenge. Sure. Very, very so does the challenge outweigh the health benefits? And again, it comes back to bio-individual. So, you know, I'd love to, I, I'm going to pivot a little bit here sure. and talk about the keto diet for a second. Oh, please, yeah. I, I, I don't know how popular keto is up there, but down here, uh, you know, it's it's all the rage. And yeah. there's tons of people like, I go keto. Oh, I love all my fat. Oh, this is amazing. And so there's some people who are like, I went on the keto diet. I lost 35 pounds. I feel great. And then their next door neighbors like, I went on the keto diet. I lost two pounds. What's wrong with me? The answer is nothing's wrong with you. It's not the right diet for you. Sure. Well, you look know, at what the Atkins diet did to people. I did the Atkins diet. I, I, my, my ex-wife was uh, a fanatic for these stupid fad diets, and it drove me nuts. And uh, she said, well, we're going to do the Atkins diet. I'm like, why? What is that? She goes, well, you get to eat all the steak and bacon you want. I'm like, fuck yeah, let's do this. <laughs> and within uh, four weeks, uh, well, yeah, about four weeks, I had dropped probably somewhere around um, 27 pounds. Okay. I, I lost a tremendous amount of weight. And then I just happened to have a doctor's appointment that one of these days during at the end of this four weeks. And I went in there, my doctor looked and goes, what the hell is wrong with you? I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, oh my God, he says, you look like you're going to die. So he started doing a couple of tests on me. And sure enough, I was literally a half a step away from a full-blown coronary heart attack. Wow. I, was, I, was, I was lethargic. I had lost color in my skin. Um, I, was, I was tired and exhausted. Because all I was doing was consuming tremendous amounts of, of fat. fat and protein. 
but and your it was liver absolutely was killing me. Yeah, your liver was getting sluggish, and your blood was getting thick, and your body yep. wasn't detoxing. Yeah. And, when and I bled, it would take three days for the blood to leave the skin. Like, I mean, it was insane. Like, I mean, I just, it just, it was literally killing me. My doctor's like, get, what, what are you on? I'm like, the Atkinside. He goes, well, are you out of your mind? You of all people? Stop. Get the fuck off of this thing. Wow. So well, I did. And, I got help. Guarantee with, the, with this diet, if you really want to steer people clear of it, just pronounce it wrong and call it the keto diet, and no one will go anywhere near it. Yeah. <laughs> well, but here's the thing. You know, there are some people for whom Atkins or keto or any of these other diets, like they're, metabolically, there are people who do well on that. And as a matter of fact, for the keto diet, there are certain populations that if it's done properly, and I'm not talking lazy keto, like go to Kentucky Fried Chicken and peel off the skin and you can eat it and you're fine. <laughs> mm, like, so good. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about measuring every macro and balancing and all of that. It's a lot of work. Yeah, um, too much they, vegans, you know, part of the challenge that I have with vegans, and like I said, it is possible to be a healthy vegan, and so I'm not going to say no one should ever do it, but my biggest problem is most vegans are actually carbotarians in disguise, so they are not doing themselves any favors. Wow. I know most like most vegans that I've come in contact with, the, ball, the main reason why they're doing it is to save the animals. They're not doing it for the actual health benefit. They're doing it strictly because I don't want to hurt an animal, which to me is, I mean, I understand the basic idea of why they would do that or say that or want to get into it. But there is not a chance in hell that I'm going to sit back and go, let me see, I'm not going to eat this. The alternative is going to fuck my system right up. and I'm going to look like a, you know, a, a suffering AIDS victim for the rest of my life. I don't want that. You know, yeah. and I don't understand why anybody really would. I always maintain that if God didn't want us to eat animals, he wouldn't have made them out of food. <laughs> well, that's one way to look at it. You know, the other is look at our teeth and look at our digestive tract. We really were designed to be omnivorous. Sure. Um, yes. Having said that, we can adapt to anything. So we can adapt to not eating animals. My, my question sometimes and again i do not ever talk anybody out of it um unless it's like really hurting them and and they are truly getting sick from it but one of my questions to them is if you are have an objection to eating animals that are raised poorly then what about eating animals that are raised ethically humanely and sustainably in a way that that really recognizes and values their life yeah. and then at the end they are turned into food that's a, that's and something why i love wagyu steaks so much sure and my, my favorite celebrity chef um gordon ramsay pushes that quite a lot you don't hear that side of him but he he spends a lot of his spare time uh, educating about the proper way to raise an animal. And well, and there's a great there's a great man here in the U.S. His name is Joel Salatin. A lot of people may be familiar with him from Michael Pollan's book, uh, you know, The Omnivore's Dilemma. And uh, he's the one who had the chickens where Michael Pollan had to actually drive to the farm because he's like, we don't ship. Right. And, and he talks about 
the fact that his animals are raised the way they're supposed to be raised. They're allowed, pigs are allowed to live in their pigness and be happy until they meet their end. But they are happy pigs living a full, enriched life, and they taste delicious. You know, totally off topic, but I've got, I have a breeder friend who's doing that with dogs, and he doesn't shampoo them, and their coats are amazing, and they don't scratch, and uh, it's just a similar thing. If we get back to, you know, you've never seen a wild horse get shampooed, but that's why they're so beautiful. Uh, well, and... And, you know, one of the other things that's so important to remember, for example, Joel Salatin, and I, I use him as an example because I've been fortunate enough to go visit his farm. He doesn't vaccinate, inoculate, uh, put antibiotics or hormones or anything into his animals. And they're perfectly healthy. He's also not raising them shoulder to shoulder, elbow deep, deep in their own filth. Well, that just makes sense. I mean, what grows... It, it, sorry, I just I get so frustrated with the stupidity. What, what makes sense about growing something like that? That you transplant a plant into a bigger pot to make it grow. It's why would that not translate to animals? Right, and but the challenge is, you know, as we go more and more towards corporate agriculture, like I said, we go towards monocropping, and which is growing a lot of the same thing. And, you know, my, my two words in answer to that are, well, more words than that, I guess, but are, does anybody remember the potato famine? Like oh. when we, when we monocrop, we create problems for ourselves. And when we raise animals that tightly, we create disease. And then all of a sudden we feel like we have to sell more or we have to medicate them more. And I don't know what the numbers are in Canada, but here in the U.S., approximately 70% of our antibiotics, all antibiotics sold, are not actually given to people. They're sold for the animal husbandry industry because these animals are raised in confined feedlot operations, and so they need to keep them healthy so that they can raise them and sell them. That is, I, I think wow. the, one of the biggest um, problems we have with reconciling this is the alternatives seem very extreme. There, there doesn't seem to be a, a middle ground. It's, uh, what, it's one of these issues that's so divisive. You've got the big corporate entity on one side, and then people have this perception that, okay, if I don't eat what they're giving me, then I have to be a, a vegan farmer in my own backyard kind of thing. Is there, is there an uh, uh, readily available alternative that's yeah, you know what? Absolutely. And there's more and more of them. Uh, so part of it is getting to know your farmers. And there are farmers in your area who want to, who would love to sell to you. Um, the other is that there are, and again, I don't know everything that's available up where you are, but for example, here in the U.S., we have this huge movement for imperfect produce. Yes. Where it's, it's food that is not good enough to sell to the grocery store, but that is still delicious and healthy and everything else. And, and the, the limit the grocery stores put, I don't know if it's the stores themselves or who decides, but they're virtually flawless. Like for, to the naked eye, you, you probably wouldn't notice. Right. That they reject, the amount they reject is just shameful. Oh. I can tell you specifically, just from working in the products, produce industry, was that how much like fruits and vegetables that I threw out because of like an apple. You chuck a whole apple because there is one small bruise on it. Yeah, yeah. there's yeah. bruise, and a bruise is not going to hurt you. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just, no, just a slightly darker color bruise version. 
I don't think I knew when I was a child that that bananas weren't brown and apples came without bruises. That's what we were fed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, the other thing is, like I said, there are a lot more, um, there's a lot of urban farming going on where people are taking over city lots or, you know, doing uh, different uh, greenhouse growing in urban settings. And so there is a movement for that. And I, I, I believe that it will continue to grow, especially as people get more and more frustrated and overwhelmed by the challenges that we see in huge food operations where, you know, there's, there, there's contaminations, like the bat guano thing is still <laughs> getting me because I've never heard that one before. Well, that, never hit the media. There's, there's, that thing never hit the media. That was strictly just a thing that I happened to witness and I was absolutely disgusted by it. One more thing I just want to clarify for myself. It's just for personal interest, really, because I think it's the silliest thing on earth. Uh, the, the paleo diet. I don't understand why this was ever a good idea. Um, if you saw, you know, uh, homo sapiens or, uh, before us, these, the, the people who would, would eat this way, they died when they were 30. They were all short, hairy, and gross. Um, I don't know why you'd want to pick up the paleo diet. Is there, is there something to it being good for you in any way you know here's the thing i think that again it's about what works for different people you know so the paleo diet is essentially about being a, a highly unprocessed low carb high fat diet sure and the, the challenge is that for some people that doesn't work well for them. But when we have a new diet that comes to the forefront, if it takes off, it becomes this, everybody should be on this diet, you know? And, and so we wind up having this overwhelming push to try and convince you that every single human being should be that way. Right. And again, we're all bio-individual. I'm actually rather surprised because at one point, I wound up writing an article about uh, the Nordic diet and I was convinced that, and this was back in 2014 when it first sort of came, it, it started to gain some popularity and there were some cookbooks about it and everything else. Because it came from it never really took off the way I expected it to replace the paleo diet right. or at least the Mediterranean diet. And it never did, but you know, there's all these diets and they kind of come and go. It's more about encouraging people to eat less processed crap, to understand what they're eating and to eat in a way that benefits their bio-individual bodies. Wow. You know, the paleo diet was one of the things I felt funny because one of the things that came out from the food industry to, uh, to backlash against it was they said, uh, well, you, you, the, if you were to look at the paleo diet and what it was back then, wheat that existed at the time doesn't even exist today. So if you were to eat the way it is, it's been so modified that that original strain, the stuff that they're surviving on back then, doesn't even exist today. So well, it's, they're it not, saying it's impossible to actually do a true paleo diet. So believe it or not, you actually can get traditional wheat 
Um, it's called Einkorn Wheat. And companies that do sell it, the biggest one being a company called Jovial Foods, J-O-V-I-A-L. And that is an ancient form of triticum wheat uh, that is the, the oldest one that has never been hybridized. Wow. And that actually still exists? Yes, it does. That's very fascinating. Cool. I had no idea. Because according to the food industry, that doesn't exist anymore. It hasn't for like a thousand years. Yeah, well, they so einkorn is the oldest unhybridized wheat grain that there is, and it's still grown the old way. It does not have the high um, molecular proteins that modern wheat does. Um, it does contain gluten, so for that 1% of the population that is celiac, it is not a good choice. But for those people who perhaps are struggling with gluten overload or whatever, it is a possibility for them. Um, it, it depends. You know, there are some people who just, like, I happen to be someone who does better when I avoid wheat. Um, it, it just doesn't agree with my system. But for, uh, for those who can have a little bit, einkorn is the way to go. Wow. This is just by the way, for those that don't know, the scientific name for, ein for the einkorn wheat is called trichicum monoticum. <laughs> Very nice. That kind of makes me giggle. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering what that typing sound in the background was. Well done. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> um, we are right. Uh, believe it or not, that was an hour. That went Wow. That was quick. Well, so I have one more thing I have to squeeze in, guys. Please, mm -hmm. You've got five minutes all to yourself if you need. Okay, well, rule number seven. <laughs> right, of course. We Jesus, you ever finished. Well, yeah. I'm just so excited. I'm all over the map today. <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. Rule number seven, is it all capital letters and not spelled out? So TBHQ, EDTA, uh, you know, BHA, BHT, all those things, those are shorthand for chemical formulations and so if it's all capital letters on the ingredient part of the label don't eat it i knew oh. it and you, you can include yolo in that or any of those things <laughs> <laughs> now i also is it true that like red dye number seven is like basically poison is that true oh yes so that is true eh? oh yes so all those dyes are made from ta-da gasoline um they're Fuck it's off, really well, they're petrochemicals, so it's an offshoot of gasoline. <laughs> yes. uh, lakes and dyes are made from petrochemicals, and they happen to be spectacularly bad for you. There was a study that showed that it increased inattentive behavior and aggressiveness in children with attention deficit disorders, and there are other studies that appear to indicate that they increased anxiety even in people who don't have attention-related disorders. Wow, that is fascinating, terrifyingly fascinating. So we should not be eating gasoline, it's not good for you. Well, if I could convince the world how bad gasoline is for you in, in all aspects, like people, I, people rant and rave about everything carcinogenic and then stand there gassing up their car uh, three or four times a week, it blows my mind. Um, oh, but it smells so good. Oh, yeah, it smells great. <laughs> Your car is one of the worst things on the planet for you. No. Cars are terrible. And I don't just say that because I don't drive one, but they're they're big evil machines. Uh, they still have asbestos in the brake pads. Come on. 
Mm. Can't be good. Um, is there anything you would like to plug with Mira? Do you have anything exciting coming up? That yeah, you know, so um, I, I, two things, if if I may. One is that I do have a book that talks about all of this and more. That's it's cool. called The Pantry Principle: How to Read the Label and Understand What's Really in Your Food. It is available on Amazon. So um, that's, that's easy. The other is for those people who are interested in connecting to the, what I call the ingredients for a healthy life, I do have a subscription box and you can check it out at theingredientguru.memberbox.com. And uh, anybody go check out that website. It's actually a really nicely done website. Um, Thank you. Oh, thank you. This is, I could, uh, I could keep going for hours. I wish I could. But uh, <laughs> well, this has been fun. You guys are great to talk to. Oh, thank you very much. It's it's uh, great to have you. We're we're still getting new to the interview thing. We didn't do it uh, very often in the beginning. So uh, thanks for being uh, understanding. Yeah. And uh, let's let's do it again sometime. I gotta say, I still got a ton of questions I would love to ask you. Yeah. yeah there's a there's a part two to this that we really got to tap into. So definitely. Yes, I'd love to come. Excellent. Back. So um. Yeah, it was great. Thank you very much, Mira. All uh, right. Have a great evening, guys. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you very much. I'm going to keep you with me for as long as I can here, Gordon. Just uh, yeah, kind of go over what we just... I, I didn't expect that to be that uh, interesting and, and just... Uh, wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? That was awesome. That was just amazing. I couldn't even... I thought I was going to crack jokes the whole time, and I just couldn't. I was... Uh, I tried. I was too fascinated. Yeah, I absolutely yeah. was. This was a really great. So, uh, listeners, I'm sorry that I wasn't my usual self. Uh, we do have interviews coming up <laughs> this week where I can be, but she was. Uh, I I didn't expect her to be that uh, engaging. But oh, I, that was just fantastic! I was just blown away by that. It was a lot I of information to process, and what I like the most is if anyone read between the lines, she said, in no uncertain terms, vegans are all retarded. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I heard that too. If you read, she wouldn't. She can't. She can't. She's a professional. Yeah. She can't come out and say it. But that's why she kept saying, "Now I'm not going to say, <laughs> but." <laughs> But vegans are retarded. <laughs> Let me repeat <laughs> what we're uh, tarding about. Uh, oh, that was spectacular. Mira, uh, I'm sorry, I forgot her last name already. Mira Desi, uh, the ingredient guru. Everybody, buy her book. She deserves it. She is amazing. That was a lot of fun. And I learned a tremendous amount. Um, I'm more disgusted with government and advertisers than I was earlier today. And that's a hell of a uh, impressive feat to get me. That's a, yeah, that's a statement on its own. I uh, and, and the fact that she was up on the what's going on in Canada is really great. Yeah, absolutely. But when, when agriculture is so intertwined between our two countries, it's basically the same industry across the border. Um, yeah. I'm not even going to bother getting, I had some stuff about Trudeau, and I really did want to get into the, because um, Russia just came forward. We'll save this for uh, a night when we don't have a guest, or we'll ask a uh, someone else about their opinion on it, but Russia has just said, no, we're going full bore with um, uh, genetic engineering. You can't tell us not to. We're doing it. That does not surprise me in the slightest. They're starting with, um, they've, they've got a, uh, a thing to breed babies for who would be born deaf. They can make it so they're not. That's their big claim to fame right now. I'm, I still don't see a necessary problem with that, I'm going to be honest. 
It's if a, I could, if I was going to have kids and I could sit there and I could choose what my kid, you know, would, you know, he's going to be born with, uh, like, not susceptible to certain diseases. He's not going to, they're not going to be uh, deaf, mute, or blind. Uh, they're not going to have a deformity. I'm thinking, yes, I'm all over that. And yet, not with my oranges. No, no, oranges are going to be I don't eat my children. <laughs> so. That was the thing. Oh, shit. That was what I wanted to bring up is if I forgot to ask her about that. I'll have to send her an email. What, about eating children? No, I wanted to ask her about my plan of eating old people. As a, oh. it solves the population crisis, it solves hunger. We turn old people into food. And it does an amazing thing for, like I said, that all ties back to amazing form for uh, immigration. But Yeah, exactly. It's, a, it's the perfect solution, and I, god damn it, I was saving it right to the end, and I forgot to bring it up. I will absolutely uh, have to ask her about that. Um, i got to say, uh, whoever runs Zoom, uh, we ran out of time, actually, about 20 minutes ago. And Zoom, Did it still record, though? I got a little message from Zoom saying we're, we're, it had a little picture of a, like a Christmas present. It said, we're taking away your time limit. And they let us record right to the bitter end. So whoever runs, oh. you are the coolest. And I will definitely highly recommend your product from now on. That you know, I saw that message about 20 minutes in. And then it just said, oh, we're, we're taking away your time limit. I just I just barely paid attention. I was too engrossed with what was happening. Yeah, there was a 40-minute time limit on the interview. That's why I kept going, okay, we gotta, we got to keep going. <laughs> um, so if you want to keep talking a little bit, we can, we can do it uh, just on the phone. And I can put the two together. Or if you just want to call it a night, that's understandable, too. Um, yeah, I think actually we're going to call it a night. Um, I've had a pretty trying day today and I got a, another one coming up tomorrow. So, okay. uh, can you be roughly, so let's end the show and then I'll talk to you quickly before you go. Everybody, I know it wasn't the usual Eric and Gord fair. And for that, I apologize, but I was, I've been so much looking forward to this and she just was 10 times better than I, than I could have ever hoped. So, and I'm not apologizing for anything because I thought this was just a great episode and, you know, we still got to swear. We still got to throw our little jokes in and everything else. So I, I still think we, I think we nailed this. You even dragged a swear word out of here at her near the end there. She, she yes, I did. got to say what was pissing her off. And I just thought, right. girl, uh, <laughs> um, I want her every, that should be a weekly thing. She's a ton of fun. Um, yeah. Everybody, this has been great. I know I wasn't myself, but it's, you know, our first real interview that we did right. And now I just want to go back and do all the other ones again because we really nailed it. Um, yeah. So keep- I loved all of our questions. We, we had a lot of great questions that came up with that. We were definitely into the conversation, which was awesome. I only had like two questions written down. Those were just coming up to me. That was cool. Um, I had nothing prepared because that's what I do. Because <laughs> I, I knew she'd expect it. Um, so uh, tomorrow night, Casey Gonzalez of the Pork and Wine uh, podcast that uh, our old Fred Gord did uh, a couple of weeks ago. He, we're returning the favor to uh, his um, gracious host. So uh, now it's a little short notice for him now because I didn't confirm anything, but we'll uh, we'll make it work. We always do. So join us tomorrow for Casey Gonzalez and your best friend Gord. And questions, <laughs> comments, uh, anything, Eric at ericgord.com, Gord at ericgord.com. And uh, Until next time, take care of each other. Eat proper, motherfuckers. Yeah, don't eat bullets, apparently. Yeah, and stop eating gasoline.
Oh my god! And I, I only got to use the diabetes thing once. <laughs> and I was so happy you did. Uh, <laughs> you I just said it right too. Um, okay, diabetes. Diabetes. I want to stop. Recording.